Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, it's me, the Comeback Coach. Guys, I just want to tell you about a person in my life that is truly, truly amazing. And she's actually changing the world one house, one home at a time. Her name is Tammy Moses of The Hoarding Solution. She's the founder and chief encouragement officer of Homes Are For a Living, The Hoarding Solution, which is a veteran-owned and operated business. Tammy provides virtual consultations and workshops on the issues of hoarding. She believes in inspiring others to take their adversity and use it for the greater good. She is the voice of AKOPTH, adult kids of parents that hoard. She is also a voice and advocate for our, of, for YLITH, Youths Living in the Horde. You can connect with Tammy at homesareforliving at gmail.com and on Facebook at Instagram at The Hoarding Solution. So guys, if you know anybody that's struggling with ho- any kind of hoarding issue, please reach out to Tammy she has a heart of service and she truly cares about people. All right, guys, remember vertical momentum. The only way to go is but up. Hey, guys, welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum. I am your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, today's going to be a great episode. If you ever wanted to know what is resilience and how do I get resilience, we're actually going to be talking about today with a guy that I consider a true friend, a true American hero. And he's president and CEO of Camaraderie Rescue Mission Incorporated. We're going to be talking about that. So, Chief Master Sergeant. Hey, how's it going, Richard? How are you doing today? I'm doing better than I deserve, my brother. How are you Awesome, awesome. Oh, I'm doing great. I'm actually sitting – I'm in Kentucky this week with my parents, sitting out on the back porch. The weather's perfect. Kind of looking out over some green grass. So, yeah, it's a great day. All right. So just got to remind you, make sure your phone doesn't go to the lock screen or it will mute us and kick us off. Just so to remind you. Yes, sir. Yes, so, sir. Yeah, I'm in there right now. I'm actually on the computer today. Got it all set up. Woo-hoo. Now you got the good internet <laughs> and everything today. That's good. right. Rocking and rolling. So, all right. So talk to us. Uh, tell us a little bit about you, about you know where you come from. And what your initial entry into the military was like, including your um, when they first recruited you. Okay. It's relatively small town, Richmond, Kentucky. And, uh, you know, I played ball in school. Uh, lots of big friend network, big friend group. Uh, you know, and your typical grew up farming, doing some hay. Uh, not a lot of that. I tried to avoid it as much as I could. And then when it came along the uh, end of my high school years, you know, I had to make that decision, college or go in the military. And like a lot of us, I just didn't really think I was uh, ready to go to college. I thought, you know, uh, that wouldn't end well. So, you know, the military was something I was really interested in going into my senior year. Uh, The Air Force seemed to be the right option for me. And then 29 years later, you know, I retired, uh, medically retired. So uh, coming in the recruiting process, you know, I, I went and took the ASVAB and and quite a few things, you know, the Army guy is actually the one that took me out uh, to, to take it. 
And then he connected me with the Air Force person, uh, the Air Force recruiter, uh, to get me in. So I was I talked to all four branches. I kind of made my decision, did the little pro con worksheet. Uh, I think it was more to convince my mom that it was the right thing for for me to do. Uh, I think I was already committed. I just had to to kind of lay it out there for. Now, my nephew, he's 17 years old, about to be an Eagle Scout, and he's looking at the Air Force. Uh, and he, what would you? He he wants to become a a pilot. So, talk to us about what are the good things, some of the great things about the Air Force. So I'll tell you, you know, for me, I I enjoyed the travel. Uh, I got a chance to you know to go different places. Uh, I was a military aircraft aviation guy by trade. And so, you know, I've hit Afghanistan and, and all of those locations, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Guam. And so for the airline or for the pilot, not airline pilot, but for the pilots, you know, you just have to be ready to go take the test, be prepared, make sure you're paying attention to what the questions are asking. Uh, you'll go through a process of, you know, getting screened. And, and then there's a couple ways to do it these days. And I'm not actually a recruiter, but, you know, you can go through a recruiter, uh, maybe be able to go through the Air Force Academy uh, or you can reach out. And, uh, you know, coming enlisted and some folks that I have that I'm actually currently friends with have have went over, become officers. And now they are flying uh, both the drones uh, as well as uh, aircraft themselves, fighters. So. So what what job did you take in the, in the Air Force? So when I came in, you know, honestly, I was one of those young kids and I knew I, I had some friends down in Biloxi, Mississippi. So when I was looking at the job choice, I was guaranteed avionics. But when I looked at it, uh, I picked the longest tech school that was down in Biloxi. Uh, to go see some friends that I had met. And uh, it was electronic countermeasures and avionics uh, program, basically defensive systems, jamming, and all that kind of good stuff so our guys don't get shot out of the air. And my tech school was about 11 months long, and then I went to my first base in Texas after that was up. So it actually felt like my first base, where some uh, people that come in, some airmen, they come in, and, and their first base is really, you know, a couple weeks long, where ours was, was almost a year. So some pretty uh, in-depth electronics, uh, you know, school there. So now, you know, a lot of guys and girls, you know, they'll do their four, their, their initial four, six years. What made you want to continue in, into making it a career instead of just a stepping stone? So, you know, I, I came in and, and like many of us, you know, I think you and I've talked, you know, my my first couple of years, it was it was a little bit of a struggle. Uh, and I got myself in a little bit of trouble that I was able to fight out of, obviously, because I, I retired at 29 years. And. You know, so around that three year mark, I had to go ask. I was like, hey, you know, I'm kind of liking this. And what it was for me is it was that camaraderie. You know, it was meeting the friends. You were all together. Everybody, for the most part, was typically on the same page. But when you left work, you knew you had somebody to call. You knew somebody was there. Uh, And that's basically how it's been all the way, how it was all the way through my career. And now I'm getting great support uh, post career. Like I said, I was med boarded. So the big thing for me uh, in the beginning was just I found that new family. Uh, that, that, you know, uh, may or may not exist in college. I didn't go through that route, not traditionally anyway. And I just loved what, you know, my friends were doing and, and how things were going. And I just said, you know what, I think this is for me. Now, okay, now I have a question to ask, you know, because a lot of guys and girls, you know, they get in, you know, they'll hit their 10-year mark, you know, maybe hit E5, E6. And then they have to start become, they become leaders. right. And, and they become leaders of men and now or women. And now you have all these people that um, are not you're in charge of, but you're 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 supposed to make sure that they're safe, that they're That's OK, right. that they come home. So talk to us about 
trans transitioning from being um, led to now becoming a leader that and have people follow you. Right. You know, and, and in some situations, you know, even earlier than that, you know, as an E4, uh, you know, I, I was put on in charge of a shift in charge of some people in different locations. But when you get that, you know, that E5, E6 ranking on up, you know, you're officially charged with that by regulation that you're a leader, you're an NCO or senior NCO. And, you know, that's a tough transition for some folks. I'll be honest with you. It was a little bit for me because you go from being one of the guys one day and now all of a sudden you're, you're making sure those guys are, or gals are, are doing exactly what they need to be done and because you're the one that's getting questioned. But I think the difference is, is the folks that transition well, that they realize it's about the people. You know, the mission, uh, the mission that's out there that we do in the Air Force, you know, that's going to happen. It has to happen. You make sure it accomplishes, you know, make sure we get it accomplished. But as I've been out speaking this last week, you know, I tell folks, you know, that, that thing of uh, mission first, people always, you know, I really think it should be people first, people always, because without the people, you don't have a mission or success or anything else. You just have, you know, you, you're not quite as good. I would. So that transition is, you know, folks come in and being consistent, uh, kind of learning and keeping not always directing what's going on, but actually listening to what people are telling you. Uh, and, you know, sometimes that's a little difficult task because you're learning how to be that leader and learn how to be that one that they look up to. And they, they may ask you questions that, you know, you never expected. Every day was a different challenge. So that it does get a little tricky. But I, for me, it was it was so rewarding. And, uh, you know, now as I've retired and I reach out and ask folks uh, different questions and they're helping me out. It, it's it's amazing to see exactly how tight that bond is. Now, like when I was coming in, I came in in, in 1986. So there was, you know, still some of the few Vietnam veterans left finishing up their time. And they had a whole different mindset to where, like, when I got out 12 years ago, you know, like, when I first got in, if me and another guy had a problem with each other, we would take off our beat, our tops, you know, our, our uniform top, go behind the tank, beat the snot out of each other. <laughs> go back, have a beer, talk about it, and that'd be it. There was no counseling statements. There was no paperwork trail. It, it seemed that's one of the like when I got out, I was I'm kind of happy I got out because it it kind of it kind of felt like everything was just becoming watered down. So take us from when you first got in as a recruit to when you retired, the metamorphosis between you know what what you went through and how it was. You know yeah, you know, and I, I, I kind of chuckled as you were saying that because I remember those days, you know, you kind of go out and we call it the blast fence. I worked on the flight line, so you got behind the blast fence and you kind of handle your differences and move on. And, you know, one of the things that, that I figured out now is, uh, you know, as recruits come in these days, me, I was coming out of high school and I decided, and there still are those, don't get me wrong. But there's also folks that are coming in as a young airman that already have their master's degree. You know, and so there's a lot of folks coming in that are highly educated when they come in. And honestly, when it comes to some of the newer technologies, you know, I, I'm, I'm last night I deleted my whole coffee line, you know, because I didn't know what I was doing. And and I called my IT guy and said, hey, you know, I've got this thing going. I'm going to run with it. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm you know, what the heck, I've, I've already deleted everything. But these new guys, it is different. The way that we interact with them is different. The way that I was interacting with them was different. But I think for me, what I found out is if I really took the time to listen to what they were saying and not just get frustrated with the differences between the way I handled things and the way that they handled things, we could come to some kind of an inroads. Uh, but, you know, it didn't always happen that way. Uh, sometimes, as you know, you go behind closed doors like, hey, we're going to discuss this. It's going to be my way, your way or my way, you know. 
but that's something that I learned. That's something that I really learned after I retired is I was so focused on the mission while I was in that after I got back, I, I looked at the way that I handled some things and I was so mission oriented and so mission driven uh, that I was like, you know, sometimes I should have just slowed down a little bit and really paid attention uh, more uh, to the people, which is why now I'm looking, you know, the people first, people always. Uh, because I think there is a, a place for that. And there are some knuckleheads out there. Heck, I was one of them, as I kind of alluded to earlier. And uh, me too. I, think- I, I was that knucklehead. But, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know how the Air Force is, but, you know, like, there was the way, there was the, the book way or the, the, the training manual way to do things. And then there was the field way to do things. You know, um, so just because, you know, if a, if a bridge bl- gets blown out, you know, some people say, well, we got to sit, sit down and we got to write it out and we got to make a plan for it. And, like, and there's like, no, we got to go around it. We don't have time, time to do all the paperwork <laughs> on that crap. And I, like mm-hmm. I said, I don't know how much, how, how much you, they do that on, on the flight line, but you know, sometimes there's a difference between, you know, book sense and common sense. Right. You know, and, and so I will just tell you that my career changed significantly because of an incident that you're, you're talking about right now. And, and I've had a big, uh, you know, it's been a hard one for me to, to, to deal with. But, you know, I actually uh, carried an individual off the wing of an aircraft in a body bag uh, at one point because he decided not to follow the TO and didn't go about it the correct way. And so that really changed the way that I looked at things. And this wasn't, you know, that dirtbag airman or or whoever, this was a rock star guy. You know, he did everything. He was actually, you know, not even really supposed to be at work that day. He just came in to help out his brothers and sisters to fix something that they couldn't. So my life was changed a little bit that day because before that situation, what I'll tell you was I was kind of, you know, get it done, get it done, get it done. And, and I still push that on the mission. But, you know, I, toward the end, I, I kind of had that deal of, you know, fast is the speed of safe. Uh, because I didn't want to have to go through that again, you know, and that was a pretty traumatic experience for me. I was a first responder. Uh, and at nine o'clock that morning, I'd worked an entire night shift. And early that morning, you know, I, I actually carried the individual to an ambulance uh, and he was pronounced dead uh, in a, a pretty rough situation. And I know that's pretty straight to the, you know, very direct. But, you know, that's something that I have had a hard time coping with. That's something that I've spoken with a lot of folks. But, yeah, you know, there's but on the other side of that, when I was getting out, I had an incident that where I was in a really bad shape and, and I was at the point where I was about ready to end it. And this is that side that I think you're talking about is when I, when I was sitting in my, you know, my recliner, uh, I'd been crying all day and I really didn't know why I just, I just didn't. And, and toward the end of the day, my wife was leaving the house and she literally went and hid pretty much everything I could get my hands on that could hurt myself. Cause we knew I was in a pretty bad shape, but she had to leave cause she had to go get my daughter thought I would be okay. I think I probably even said that. And when I reached out for the first time in my 20, at that time, at 28 years of my career, I reached out and I emailed an individual and I said, Hey, I, uh, I really need some help here. You know, I saw that we are very similar. It looks like you've got a background similar to what I did before you went over and became a social worker. And, you know, when I reached out because of those regulations and because they followed them by the line, I'm almost not here on this podcast today because when I sent that out, and I said, hey, I need some help. Uh, I got an email back very quickly that said, you need to make an appointment with the front desk. And then I got the copy and paste of the regulation that stated that I was supposed to use this system called secure messaging. And I hadn't done that because I'm just going to tell you in the shape that I was in at that point. 
I wasn't able to figure out what my password was. I was reaching out in any way I knew how. And uh, that's a response that I got. But I'll tell you the side of that is that it really ticked me off so bad when I got that email back. I mean, ticked me off that I kind of went into chief mode at that point and said, you know what? If that's going on here, it's probably happened before and we have to change this. And so that I went into that mode, probably saved my life. Uh, and, you know, the rest is kind of history. But, uh, you know, now that's kind of what I do full time because I don't want folks going through this on a regular basis. But uh, that's a... So now you've done 20, you did 29 years, multiple, multiple deployments, uh, you know, all over the world. Um, Tell us what happened to you medically. So medically, you know, I I had a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that was, that was, uh, you know, in the background that I I really don't want to get into, but I will tell you that where things changed for me um, is back in 2008, I'd had issues with balance and vertigo and all of this stuff. Uh, for years. And, but, you know, throughout my career, I was always able to keep my mask on. I was always to keep that level head and and no one really knew what was going on inside, you know, mental health wise, because I had the ability to to keep it suppressed. And so in 2018, I had brain surgery, uh, decompression of seventh and eighth cranial nerve. And when they did that, they actually messed me up. So I went in hoping that was going to be the the fix. I was going to be back to being able to walk, not get sick, not get nauseous, not have to go maybe miss out of the day uh, for three or four days in a row, like what I was doing. And when they went in and did the surgery, you know, they, they actually messed me up. They, I came out of the surgery deaf in my left ear, which that was my good ear being an aircraft, you know, maintainer. Our ears sometimes aren't the best anyway, but that was my good ear. So that was very significant. And before I went in, I had what I would call activity induced uh, vertigo, where if I did something as simple as like folding towels or whatever, uh, I would, uh, it went from there to where now I pretty much feel seasick 24-7. You know, I have on a scale of 1 to 10, hours, about a 3 just waiting to see what day holds for me. And so during that time, kind of get to the mental health aspect of it, is, you know, when you're in that vulnerable position, and I'd never been there again, I couldn't see straight. I was at toward the end of my career, which is why I really decided to go in and get it checked out. I wasn't going to hide it anymore. And when I reached out to try to get that fixed, uh, it seemed like everything that medically they were doing was making me worse. And so I really got frustrated and upset with the medical, uh, you know, medical uh, unit, but they were, they were really taking good care of me doing everything they could do, except for that one incident with the uh, social worker. So, you know, when you're in that situation, I didn't have the ability to kind of close off some of those things. I, I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't want to deal with, I didn't have that ability. And so uh, at that point, they all came flooding forward, you know, and I just couldn't handle them. stuff that had happened while we were out. And, you know, we were in different locations around the world and things that had happened to my interpreter when I was in Iraq, uh, you know, back in the day. Um, things that had happened to, you know, the individual I spoke of on the aircraft wing, things that really I had just been dealing with. But when I had that surgery, I was totally vulnerable and I had really no control over my emotions. Uh, I didn't have much control over my temper, which I still struggle with that post-surgery. And, uh, so it changed for me drastically. So that's, that's kind of where I'll, I really want to focus on because, you know, I had, I came to a point where I finally got there. You don't ever know when it's going to happen. And it got to a point where I really couldn't control myself. All right. Uh, let me pull that back. It got to a point to where I really needed some help and mine was kicked off, you know, kicked off by the brain surgery. And all of a sudden I couldn't control my emotions. I couldn't control my thoughts, my feelings, uh, and so, you know, I went through 29 years of, of a great career, you know, very proud of what I did and proud of the folks that I worked around and they made me look good every day. Uh, but, you know, I came to that point to where, you know, it, it just I couldn't deal with all of the things that had happened in my background. 
So now, that's, did they medically they medically discharge you? Medically retired you? They medically retired me because at the point I got to there, you know, there was uh, uh, I, I couldn't deploy obviously because I couldn't walk straight. Uh, you know, I and that's not even a joke. You know, at the time I retired, you know, I was on a cane. Uh, I've I've worked a lot of physical therapy in the last year and a half. Uh, and, and so, and other things, you know, PTSD and, and some of those, uh, that I dealt with, but, you know, they, uh, there's a certain, you know, the, the codes I just put in my records and they came back and, and they came back relatively quickly, uh, because, you know, there's a lot of stuff, uh, that with the, it's, it's now that I've been diagnosed with triple PD. And basically what that is, is when you have vertigo symptoms and other things, but they really can't find anything. It's a neurological issue. So. You know, throughout my career, they kept trying to find out what was going on, my migraines, my my balance issues, my nausea and all that. But they never treated it as a system. And when I finally got out with the VA, they were able to connect all those dots. Uh, and toward the end of my career, they started connecting them. But I got, you know, discharged before it fully wrapped up. Uh, they met wrapped up the med board. Uh, but I think I was able to go and get with a new team and they were able to dig a little deeper, more specialized, and they worked as a complete system. So uh, to me, help me. And so I think that was uh, that's been a really a real blessing for me uh, because I moved down. I moved down to Tampa and that's, you know, one of the best VA medical centers in the whole country. See, my difficulty was, you know, I got hurt on duty. Um, and if you can't see, you can't shoot. So the military doesn't really need you. And the day they medically retired me out was Memorial Day 2012 was the day that I attempted suicide mm. because, you know, I for 23 years, you know, my whole being was being Sergeant Kaufman trying to be the ultimate soldier. And yep. now I I don't know who Richard was. I yep. had and I, you know, because um, like everybody knows in the military, you know, once you've been in the military long enough, if somebody asks you for your ID, you never drive, get, give them your driver's license. It's always your military. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's it's, right. Might get, it, might get you out of something, right? Let's be honest yeah, here. But it just makes, you know, it's beca- it becomes, you You know, you, you become, you know, whatever rank you were. And mm-hmm. then when you get out, like my friend, my friend Nick Valentine says, um, once you hit the streets, the military does not give a shit about you. And you're you pretty much become a man on an island. Your phone stops ringing. Um, the camaraderie, like we talk about, that you once mm-hmm. had, you don't have. And a lot of people like myself, you know, they don't have a mission anymore. Right. And, they, and so they got to reinvent themselves. So what was your transitioning like and having to reinvent yourself? So, you know, when I got out, I was I was a wounded warrior. You know, Air Force Winnie Warrior. I'm also now an ambassador for them. But during my transition, it was it was tricky because I really didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, I obviously here I've been in the military for 29 years. I had a regiment, uh, and I just you know it was pretty solid. But toward the end, I just I couldn't do that either because my my brain you know with everything just wasn't working the way it should. Uh, but you know, I had an option. I, I came out pretty well because one of the commanders that I'd worked with reached out to me and actually recruited me to come work with him. But that didn't make it easy. It just gave me a job and actually gave me a chance to regain some confidence. So when I went in, you know, they understood what I had gone through. They understood where I was at uh, mentally and physically of what I could and couldn't do. And I was really in a situation to where I was kind of doing what I'd always done. You know, I was went into military aviation or contract aviation. And so but the transition was really tough because, you know, I moved away really quick uh, to take the job. 
my family had to come in behind me. So that separation was no fun. And then ever since then, you know, I've been trying to live up to who I was prior to that surgery and prior to some of the other stuff coming forward. And it just wasn't working out. And uh, even though the company was beside me and, and really helping and also the Air Force Winnie Warrior program and a couple other programs, you know, they were they were beside me and helping me, but it, it wasn't wasn't what I needed. And so, you know, on March of this year, I resigned from that job. Uh, and when I resigned from that job, you know, I started kind of what I'm doing now full time, which is helping people. Uh, but the but, you know, the whole the whole crux behind it was I just really couldn't perform like I wanted to perform at the level that I shot. I thought I should be able to perform. And uh, it was it was a grind. And I was working, still working the long hours. Uh, I was still working kind of like I was back in the military, because when I retired in the company I went to, I think we were about 85 percent military. And so, you know, a lot of colonels and chiefs uh, in there. Uh, running the show but again no no hard feelings toward them at all because you know we were all working very hard but it made the transition maybe a little easier than some but i'll tell you i never was able to perform like i wished i would for that company uh and they really uh but i think i did some good stuff i'm not walking away upset with anything that i did but the transition was tricky in the aspect of i wasn't doing what i was used to doing and i just didn't have the abilities based on you know what i had been through in that so it was it was rough now you know because like i i i matter of fact i just got off um, a call with a uh, clinical psychiatrist and we were talking okay. about uh, ptsd from <clears throat> mm -hmm. you know post-traumatic stress yes, and sir. you know coming to peace with our pasts so what was you know like me i've been going to the same therapist for now going on 11 years same same one and I find that, you know, it takes more strength to get help than it does yeah. not to get help. So talk yeah. to us about, you, you know, your path of, you know, getting help and, you know, having, finding, be, finding peace with your past so you can have a good future. Yeah. And that, you know, that was real big for me because I told you when I reached out, you know, in 2018, it wasn't, it wasn't exactly like I had expected. You know, I really got turned away if you, or stiff-armed, if you want to put it that way, because of a regulation. And the good news with that was I was able to have a conversation with that individual, uh, and he realized that, he, you know, what had happened, and hopefully I helped change the way he's going to interact with folks from here on out. But for me, you know, I kind of went on this hiatus. When I retired in May of 2019, uh, I was really sitting and kind of working through the process, but I didn't go to the VA you know, like I should have, or I wasn't seeking counseling. I was really kind of taking a break from all that because I'd gone through so much. Uh, before I left my my previous location there at Dice Air Force Base when I retired, uh, you know, I was seeing a counselor there locally, an off-base person, and I thought things were going pretty good. But as as I went uh, to the new job and, and moved down to Florida, you know, it just wasn't exactly, uh, I, I needed more. And so I reached out. Uh, the VA was really good in taking care of me, but the part of the story where it really makes it, it really makes a change for me was this year. Now think about this. I came in in 1990, June of 1990, went through my whole career, uh, reached out finally for the first time and asked for help in 28, uh, after 28 years, which was way too late. I could have used that 10 to 15 years prior. And when I got out in, in February of 2021 this year, you know, I reached out uh, to one of my care providers, uh, non-military care providers that was through the AFW2 Air Force Winter Warrior Program. 
And I said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking about moving on from this. It's health wise. The job I'm working now isn't really uh, it really isn't working out. I'm getting ulcers and, and it's just, you know, I, I just think I need to do something different and I really need to help people. You know, they're treating me good. And so I went through the Air Force Wounded Warrior offers and it was back in the beginning of March. And so if you think about that, February, um, my mind, I think, yeah, it was March. And so during that during that week, I actually told a lot of the story that I told you right now for the first time ever. So about what I went through, about my story, about the, you know, uh, the individual that came off the wing, I hadn't told it. And, uh, you know, from then until now, you know, I just came off of a road trip uh, to where I went back to the place that I retired. People that saw me leaving, leaving out of the military with a cane, people that saw me leaving out of the military really looking pretty distant. Uh, you know, that thousand yard stare kind of thing, didn't know where I was going to go, is I got a chance to go back and talk to about a thousand people this last week with that program, the Air Force Wounded Warrior Program. I was able to go back there and talk to a lot of the people that are still there from when I retired. And what we kept asking is like, did you know any of that stuff that was going on with me? And every one of them are like, heck no, I, you're the last person I would have ever thought, you know, that that was going on with. And so the thing that I, you know, looked at and I said, you know, the military and the DOD and the Army, everybody, you know, they teach us as supervisors, especially, you know, how to recognize signs of suicide. I'm sure, you know, you probably went through some of the same thing. We all do. It's an annual requirement, right? Every, every the, the day of the Christmas party, every year we got to go through. Yep. 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 And so, you know, the one thing that that teaches you is what to notice, but it also teaches people like where I was at on how to hide it. You know, so, you know, the signs to look for, but you also get to learn the signs not to show. And that's where I was stuck at. I was pretty, pretty good at, at not showing the signs that really said, Hey, I need some help. And I was too stubborn to reach out and say I did up until, you know, around 2018. And then I really didn't start working on my my recovery truly until this year. And so, you know, that's 30 plus years uh, of me not really helping myself the way that I'm supposed to. And so a lot of things were coming together around that time is I went through uh, and I, I did the ambassador program. At that time, I was wrapping up with a, a the CPT, cognitive processing therapy. And then fast forward, you know, I went to a program that's out in Kansas City called Warriors Ascent, and I had a week. It's a great RAN program. Mike Cannon and staff do a great job. And my buddy, Kerry Stewart, invited me out there. He's actually part of the, uh, the team that teaches it and goes through it. And he said, hey, I think this is something I see what you're going through. And so, again, a brother reached out to me and I went out to that program. And during that week is when I decided, you know, I got to make some changes. And when I came back, I dropped my uh, two week notice with the boss. Uh, it wasn't a surprise because I told him I was kind of on the fence, you know, about the, where I was going to go forward because it was just becoming mentally taxing and, and causing some medical issues. But I went out there and I came back and dropped it, you know, dropped my paperwork. Two weeks later, I resigned. And uh, here I am today, you know, just, you know, kind of working through what I'm doing. And uh, it was a big change. So if you think about that from February until now, I'm now sitting here talking to you about stuff I've never talked to anybody about, you know, for 20 years. And that's kind of the, the message that I want people to understand is that, you know, it, it's OK, as they say, you know, it's OK to not be OK. You just don't want to stay there. And reaching, you know, self-care is not selfish. You know, if you need to take care of yourself, it's not bad to say, you know what, in order for me to be good for you, I got to be good for me. It doesn't you know, mean ignore it. You know, I talk about that all the time. I was talking, you know, about to my, my cousin the other day. We were just sitting there chatting. You know, his thing is fishing. You know, he loves to fish. That's mm -hmm. what fills his cup. You know, for me, it's talking, you know, interviewing people in the podcast. And it's true that you can't pour 
you know, from an empty cup. That's you know, true. And, you know, and they teach you, you know, even because I've had a couple um, Navy SEALs and, you know, t- talking about, you know, divers and stuff. You can't save somebody else if you're not safe yourself. Right. You know, or at you least, know. you know, you might come close, but you, you definitely are going to fall short in some places and maybe even be a detriment to what you're trying to do to help them out if you, if you don't have yourself right. Now, what I've noticed, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm not a professional by no means. I only got a ninth grade education, but I've right. interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people now. So it's right. kind of like getting an MBA in uh, psychology. But I, I found, you know, that when an adult acts out, it's usually because of stuff that happened between the ages of three and 13. And then you add military or war to the mix. And then sometimes, not all the time you add alcohol to the mix and it becomes like the perfect storm. Right. And nobody tells you how to get out of the perfect storm unless that person has been in the perfect storm. And I think that's why there's people like myself and you that have been there, done that, threw away the t-shirt, you know, that we're there to help Mm -hmm. others. Cause a lot of vets, you know, like, like we know that, you know, the police department, they have the thin blue line and the military Mm -hmm. is the same way. You know, me, me and you may not know each other from Adam, but if we find each other, we're sitting down at a park talking, we'll open up to each other, you know, because mm-hmm. we both That's know true. that we, you know, we both raised our right hand and we'll always, we'll be brothers in that regard. So mm-hmm. talk to us about um, the strength that it takes to actually reach out for help. So, you know, for me, you know, I, I, so I will lead off with this that I think reaching out is probably the strongest thing any of us can ever do. And for me, it was it was empowering, but I was scared to death. You know, I, I and I will tell you, it not only affected me, it affected my family. So when I went through, you know, the struggles there toward the end of my career, you know, I kind of set the tone. I was always a stoic guy. You know, if things were going on. I just dealt with it. I just handled it. Well, it finally got to that point where I couldn't handle it. The problem was, is on the backside of that surgery, I had a year that I don't even remember now. And, you know, I hadn't asked for help. But my family also was kind of taking on my persona and they never reached out for help, you know, and uh, they kind of was like, hey, I don't want anybody to think any different than the chief. I don't want you know them to think that he's, you know, not not up to par when he goes back or to, to see what's going on. So it affect a lot of that. But I will, you know, coming in and asking that was, you know, it, you know, you heard what it took me to. It took me to a point where I'm sitting in a recliner crying all day and, and you know, a, a cold piece of steel up against my temple. And uh, I finally reached out and, uh, you know, so that was, and that was hard. It was still hard. And when I went over to talk to, uh, excuse me, when I went over to talk to the, uh, the group there, uh, the medical group, after I retired, they actually requested me to come in and as I had the conversation. I said, Hey, you know, that's uh, there's a part that where you wear a certain badge. And if you're medical, you know, you, you may be the last person anybody calls. And if you're a friend or a supervisor, you might be the last person that they ever talk to. So the way that you interact, and I'm guilty of this, sometimes I'm grumpy, maybe more than, than I would like to admit. Uh, but when people reach out, you know, you don't, you don't know what their situation is. And for me, a lot of people had no idea what my situation was. You know, my family, because it was all basically an in-house secret. Now, my immediate family did, but even them, they didn't know the true story of what I was dealing with. And so to reach out, for me to finally reach out and then to realize just how empowering that was. And then to get connected with a couple groups and and, you know, a lot of people right now that I'm, I'm chatting with, it, it, it makes me uh, kind of disappointed in myself, to be honest with you, that I didn't reach out earlier. 
because I knew that I should have. And I just like, every, you know, like a lot of people, I just didn't want to make that move because I thought, what in the world is everybody going to think about me? You know, am I going to get put over in a corner? And uh, which is another thing we have to stop, you know, when, when people get the diagnosis or they say, hey, I'm suicidal or this or that. You know, there's a tendency that folks, it seems like folks want to avoid those people. And that's when we need to hug them the most and bring them back in. So if they don't finish off the actor next time. Yeah. And so. And so, you know, yeah. I, I interviewed a, a, a command sergeant major a couple of weeks ago. And um, he says that whenever he goes for mental health on base, he wears his full uniform. Mm-hmm. And the doctor said, you know, Sergeant Major, you know, you don't have to wear your uniform. He said, yeah, but I want those young privates in there in the, in the waiting room to know that if there's a guy like me with over 30 years can come and get help, they can come and get help. Right. You know, so, it almost took it almost took me two years after I got out to realize because I was just dealing with stuff. And, and you know, when I went in, you know, I was I would make the early morning appointments because still I wasn't fully. Again, like I said, it took me, I retired in May and I didn't really start telling my story till, till that February. And so I wish I could have been more like that. And when I look back, you know, I realized just how mission focused I was. I always thought I was very good with people, um, you know, and, and I always thought that I, I really put my heart into everything that I did. But when I got out, I realized that I missed the mark sometimes. And that's hard to admit as well. But reaching out for help, I still say, you know, folks that reach out, people are like, oh, that's weak or all these things that we say about people that are going to pull the trigger that, you know, they're they're It's it's selfish and all that stuff. I'm going to tell you, when I was sitting there, I didn't feel like it was selfish. I felt like it was probably the best thing I could do for me and my family. And at least they would get a little bit of money. You know, I'm glad I'm here now and didn't finish it off. Uh, but at that point in time, when you get to that point and you're that low and you can't see the other side of the, you know, the other side of where the roadblock is that you're at and the crisis that you're in. It doesn't feel like you're being selfish at that point. And people that haven't been there and they make those statements, I go back to what you is, you know what? Maybe it feels that way in the eye of the beholder. But I would take it in the mind of a victim, or at least mine, not a victim, but somebody that was going through it. It sure didn't feel like it was selfish at the time. It felt like it was the best thing I could do. Now, years later, I realized that was the absolute wrong call. And, and I do feel now that that, you know, I, I'm, I, you know, that obviously that decision was, would have been a poor one, right? I would have left a wake of people behind that really care about me uh, and, and a lot of struggle. But at the time that I was there, I did not feel like it was something that, uh, that, that I was doing that was wrong. I felt like, you know what, this is, this is the best option I have. And I don't think, you know, it's like I tell people sometimes, you can't ever get in the mind of an insane person if you're sane. At least I can't, I don't have that ability. And in that particular case, you can't get in the mind of someone that's ready to pull the trigger because that's just not a normal thing that we do. So to be able to understand that, like you said, you kind of have to be there. And, and that's why I'm spreading this message now. Yep. And that's what this whole, you know, the show, show today is all about is you yes, know, sir. It, it might just touch one person. You know, it might. Yeah. Oh, well, if they if they can get help, you know, I can get help. Now, Tef, talk to us about what you're doing now and talk to us about what you got going on with your camaraderie yeah so i so back in december like i said there was a lot of soul searching around in that time frame and i looked at my facebook page and and during that time frame there was six no there were seven badges that had the black stripe across being you know that someone had passed away and when i looked into it it was all in different locations every one of those people that i knew and all but one was suicide 
And I'm sitting there at home. It's around Christmas time. And I'm like, man, what am I doing? And so at that point, I started working on paperwork to found uh, the camaraderie rescue mission. And our goal is to end isolation and suicide one life at a time. And we do that through connecting, supporting and sustaining people. And so, you know, that's a that's a, a lot of words there. But, you know, the connection part starts with what we're doing right now and just getting the word out and saying, you know what, I'm willing to open up to you. I'm hoping you're willing to open up. And if you're not, you know, keep my phone number, keep my email, whatever we got to do. Let's connect and figure that out. And, you know, the support, again, goes with I'm connected now with a lot of different agencies. Some are civilian, some are uh, uh, federal you know, agencies, some are actually uh, local agencies. Uh, and we're working to actually make it to where suicide, you know, if you think about the word cancer, you know, when we you and I first came in the military, that that or even before that wasn't really a word that you even uttered is people would kind of shudder. So I'm trying to make it where people can talk about suicide. And when they do bring it up and they do need help, that people don't stick them in that corner that I talked about earlier. And so, you know, we reach out. I'm doing some events. I had a turkey hunt, you know, uh, back in uh, first part of April. I'm having a fishing thing going on just to get folks together up in the Panhandle of Navarre, Florida uh, in October. And then I'm doing a retreat of my own in Kentucky and Essel County. Same place we did our turkey hunt. I'm going to do like a five day retreat and looking to put a, a band out there at the end of it uh, to have a little uh, fun. And then everybody will check out on Friday. But, you know, what we're doing is is, you know, we're across the, we're across the country right now. And, you know, I reach out every day and talk to folks. Matter of fact, right before I came on here today, I got an email from a really good friend of mine said, Hey, have you seen this? And unfortunately it was another one of those badges that had the black stripe across it. And so I'm reaching out to that individual to make sure they're okay. And, and they're overseas. They're, they're stationed in, a, in, a, in the Netherlands right now. And so I'm trying to reach out to them to see what's going on. So if, if the person that's on here happens to be listening to this and they know who I'm talking about, man, you need to give me a call because uh, we need to chat because I love you, brother. That's, that's a true statement. And uh, so, you know, with me, uh, the camaraderie is kind of a, it's a passion. It's something I've always wanted to do, camaraderie rescue mission. And um, as we continue to grow, we want to have bigger and better events, but more so we just want to connect with more and more people. Uh, and through that, you know, it's just, we hope to change those lives because that's something like with you and I, until I started reaching out and you started, we started talking, we didn't know this. And so whoever this goes out to, you know, that's where it's at. And maybe someone will get the, you know, someone will get that ability to be able to reach out and state it. But I'm also getting ready to go attend. It's called assist training. It's applied applied suicide intervention uh, skills training. I'm going to go through that. That allow me to help folks from a different perspective, from a trained perspective. And then there's a safe talk that I'm getting uh, uh, getting enrolled in to go. And then around August, I'm going down to get fully trained to be a trainer for it, so that I can take this around to the bases and the police departments and and really civilian sector wherever they need it, so I can train them on it, so that we can we can end this thing. You know, we can end the suicide problem, uh, but it really takes a whole team. Um, and that's, you know, that's what I'm doing now. I do a lot of traveling with the Air Force Wounded Warrior Program, like I said before, and it's still the same message. It's just under a different hat. One is AFW2 and the other one is Camaraderie Rescue Mission. Okay. So now I have a question to ask. This is because right. I was talking about, you know, this interview that I did a couple hours ago has really gotten to me, gotten in my head a little yes, bit. And, you know, a lot of times people like my, you, yourself and myself, you know, we get so involved in helping people around across the country and around the world that we kind of forget the people that live in our own house. You know, like because like my wife, you know, about <clears throat> maybe about two months ago, she was going through a rough patch and um, with kids and staying home, COVID, all that crap. 
and she had a, you know, she felt like she was breaking down. And she said, you know what, Rich, you care about everybody else in the world, but you're not taking care of the one that's sitting across the kitchen table from you. And that really affected me. And that's, you know, it's really, now I start looking at everybody's health, mental health around me. So talk to us about how you fill your cup and you keep your family's cup full. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in that, that place right now. It's, I'm actually glad you asked this because, you know, I, I owe my family a huge apology. You know, I was gone a lot while I was in the military. And right now I've been traveling a lot the last, you know, three months trying to get my coffee company going and, and then doing stuff for the, for the non, you know, or the Florida nonprofit and getting that going. And, and honestly, uh, not to put my dirty laundry out there, but, you know, my wife's a little frustrated with me today uh, over some things that, you know, I've just been pumping a lot of money and trying to make this successful. And I haven't been spending the amount of time with her that I need to. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's on me because, you know, I, I, re- I resigned from my job with the intent of being available to my wife and kids uh, more than I could be or more than I had been over 30 years. And now that I've retired, I've really pumped a lot of myself into this. And uh, it's it's a little bit of a struggle, you know, and, and being that military mindset of where there's a mission, you know, you, you basically lay out your goal and you go accomplishment pretty much at all costs. You know, I've realized over this last week of me being out there and getting some time to think that I've got to do better and I've got to take care of them better. I've, I've got to reach out. And um, it's 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 a problem. It's a problem for me. And balance has always been a problem for me in the military. You know, it was it was let's get this thing done. And, and now I'm kind of in that bad cycle right now. And so I'm you know, I'm reaching out. Uh, I hope my wife, I hope my wife is listening to this. I know she sometimes catches a piece of this. And uh, if that's the case, you know, I'm sorry. I've got to do better and I've got to pay more attention. So it is a struggle and it ebbs and flows. And uh, right now, right now, unfortunately, you know, just me being honest, I'm an honest guy is that I haven't (laughs) been doing so. I I haven't been doing so good at that lately. And uh, for all you folks out there that aren't, they're doing the same thing of, not taking care of the home team, you know, I highly encourage you to do that because uh, it's a, it, it's a rough one for me right now, just because that balance. So very, great, great question. Hard answer. Well, now let me ask you, you know, because, you know, let's talk about business a little bit. Um, Cause I have a lot of people that are veterans. Now they become entrepreneurs. We, I call mm-hmm. them veterpreneurs. Um, right. You know, a lot of people that get out of the military, the first thing they want to do, start a t-shirt company, hat company, coffee mm-hmm. or liquor company. And then right. six months later to $10,000 in debt and don't mm-hmm. know what the hell just happened. Um, right. Talk to us about why you want to get into the coffee business. So the coffee business really is to fund the camaraderie rescue mission. So with that, it's something that, you know, being a retired person, uh, you know, being a, a retired chief and, and taking care of my money, uh, you know, I'm, I'm able to do this uh, maybe a little differently uh, than some, but I've got a, a lot of good backers. Again, friends have rallied around me and, and tried to help. So I don't suggest going out and taking that $10,000 loan at it. You know, start small and work your way big. And, and that's kind of where I'm at right now uh, is I'm starting small. I'm trying to get some local markets. I'm trying to get, you know, really popular and good at where I'm at. Uh, but, you know, it, it's tricky. And, and I don't think that taking out that huge loan is the way to go. I don't think that, uh, again, everybody has their own choice. If that's the way you want to do and go for it. I went for broke because I walked away from a job that's probably more, you know, was worth more annually than the loan that folks are taking out. And that was terrifying to me as well. 
Uh, and I'm not saying that, you know, from that arrogant standpoint, but I just, I walked away to do this. And, and so that's no different really than taking a loan because I lost it, you know, month after month, not, you know, stuck it out there at one time and, and six months later, you know, it, it kind of goes away. So I would suggest to get a business plan. I would suggest to go out there. Uh, I'm going through an organization right now. It's called NYU Better. And it was connecting. I was connected through them, their event one program. We went all the way to uh, get the uh, our executive summary built. And now we're working through to where we get a no kidding lockdown solid uh, plan for the vet, their vet two program. And it's available to folks. All you got to do is go in there and just kind of log on and see when the next one's available. It's not an automatic acceptance. You have to meet some criteria, but I'm in their first ever vet two program now. It's a great team up there. Uh, Alexa Madero is the one that's running the class. And then Grant Fox is the one that's a director up there. And they're doing some great stuff. If, if you're familiar with the coffee place, uh, Black Six Coffee, mm-hmm. you know, came through their came through their program, the Mobile Cigar Lounge. Uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of good businesses that have rolled through there. And so it's great because I've got this team of veterans around me that really my success is their success. And their success is my success because we all working together and, and they're doing a lot of stuff for everybody in there. So uh, great program. You know, a lot of company, I guess I could now, I've interviewed hundreds of people here. And some of, a lot of the businesses that fail is because, you know, like when we're in the military, we're taught how to, we taught how to read an SOP. You know, we're mm-hmm. taught how to have a plan, have a plan for the plan. And if that plan fails, we have a backup plan for that plan. But right. a lot of, sometimes when people decide they're going to get into business is oh, well, if, if Frank is doing good with T-shirts, I'm going to make T-shirts. And, you know, I'm a big Shark Tank guy, and I actually got to talk to Damon John. And he always cool. says that, you know, if you do not have a business plan, you do not have a business. You have a hobby. Right. So talk to us about, you know, getting a business plan and, and getting an SOP and actually sticking to that SOP when you first start your business. Right. So like I said, I, I've got a lot of very vocal supporters around me. Uh, one, my vice president of the, uh, of the, uh, of Comrade Rescue Mission, she keeps me straight. Uh, she's actually a licensed uh, clinical social worker. So, you know, she sees me doing something stupid. She, uh, she makes sure that, that, that she lets me know about it, but you know, there's resources out there. And that's what I always tell people is, you know, even with me or anybody else, somebody's already, you know, given it a shot. And if you go to your small business association, or you go to the SCORE Mentor, uh, it's, I think it's like SCORE.org and SBA.gov. Those two places, they literally help you out for free. And a SCORE Mentor, I have one right now that I call him up. He's a retired lawyer. He does it, you know, free as a, on a volunteer basis. And, you know, I pull up business plans on there. I look at them, see maybe where I'm missing my blind spots. And then if I'm just not really sure from looking at myself, I reach out to him and say, hey, what, you know, what do I need? So when I first started doing this, he, I called him up and he said, hey, you need to go get an accountant, your bail team, they call it your banker, uh, your insurance, your lawyer, VA, I'm not going to see banker, attorney, insurance and lawyer. And so, you know, going through that, this guy has already, you know, kind of pointed me in the right direction and he keeps me on track. So I would highly suggest a score mentor. It's all free. And then some of the business plans are out there. It's a ton of resources. I don't know if it's in every area, but you, you potentially can find one close by. So you know, I, I fully support that. And then through the military, like if you're Air Force, you know, there's the empowerment and transition and there's the, you know, the transition assistance program and all of that. 
But I did the small business class, the two day, and I, it just wasn't enough for me. And so I kept looking for more resources. And then I was I was introduced to the folks at NYU and I took that veterans one class. And then I'm in the vet two class now. When that's over, I'm hoping to get in their incubator program where for nine months they helped me continue to grow. And so I didn't, you know, just like when I was in the military, I didn't try to go out on my own. I rallied up a team and said, hey, you need to tell me when I'm not quite hitting the mark and I need you to be brutally honest with me. And, you know, being being brothers and sisters of mine, they do tell me uh, point blank, but also went to the professionals that have done it before and just ask for help. Because I think that's I think that's where we miss it sometimes as veterans and folks that have retired and, and don't have a lot of uh, manpower at our at our fingertip. But there's a lot of resources, but there's so many out there uh, that sometimes folks get inundated with too much information. But I will tell you that for me, I highly, highly recommend SCORE. I believe it's SCORE.org. Uh, reach out to them. Uh, and then the Small Business Association or SBA, Small Business Administration. That's two great resources if you're looking to become an entrepreneur and uh, they will they will help set you straight. There's there's loans out there they can help you get. I mean, it's just it's, I'm not I don't know enough about it to really go in depth, but those two places have been absolutely fantastic for me. So now how do we find your um, your company? How do we find your coffee company? What are some of the ways that we can get in touch with you? Okay, so if you go on both my sites, so if you go to uh, for the camaraderie rescue, it's tcrmi.org for the camaraderie rescue mission incorporated. I didn't want all those letters, but when you start, well, name sometimes you have to have to do that, right? Uh, so tcrmi.org, uh, that's out there, and from there you can actually get to the coffee uh, from that website, and then the coffee company is just as simple as camaraderie coffee club. Dot org. It's C-A-M-A-R-A-D-E-R-I-E-C-O-F-F-E-E-C-L-U-B dot com. So camaradecoffeeclub.com and tcrmi.org. Uh, our information is on there. We're going through a website revamp at this moment, but they are active. And uh, this morning before I came on, I had to go back and reload all my coffee products because last night, like I said, not being a, a true IT guy, I, del- I deleted my entire line. But it's back up, uh, ready for folks to go and purchase some. And again, 50% of everything that I make. Uh, the profits out of the coffee company goes directly to the nonprofit, which, again, our focus is on, you know, isolation and, and suicide awareness, getting folks out of isolation where they can, you know, speak to each other and be around each other. And and we're honestly, by rubbing elbows, you learn a lot about each other, just like what we did on deployments and what we do when we're out hunting or whatever you're doing. And that's the big thing is getting folks talking and then maybe they can point us in a direction, which is what happened to me. Uh, I got pointed in a direction of someone that was really looking for help and he and I've become great friends. And, and I think, I think he's doing much better, but I was able to connect him with resources. And so that was now, a huge is your coffee. Uh, can they buy it right there? Or is it, do you have a subscription service? No. So what we have right now is you can buy it right online. Uh, you can go through, it's through Shopify, I built the account through there. So when they go in, they connect on it again, camaraderiecoffeeclub.com. Uh, they go in and link into it. Uh, you can buy a one pound or a 12 ounce, a one pound, a five pound, and then K cups, 12 or 24 K cups. I've got four different blends on there. The one thing that I would love is my email is on the uh, connect, you know, connect with me is if people provided some feedback, because I'm really trying to look at that staple coffee. Uh, it's camaraderie blend is the one, obviously that's the one that I'm really pushing toward, but I'm trying to get something when I go out and do these events, I'm going to give away a lot of free coffee. I'm going to give away a lot of a lot of things. And I just want people to come and sit down and have a cup of coffee. And what I eventually hope to happen is maybe across the country, one of these days, you know, we get like, you know, 10,000 coffee shops are sitting down from seven to 10 every Saturday. And we're talking about issues that are affecting our communities. And we figure out a way to help those communities 
be prosperous. And coffee is the metaphor. Yeah, they can bring water. They can bring Gatorade. I, you know, not really concerned what they bring. I just want to bring people together where we can talk about it. But yeah, you go in there. You, it says click for coffee right on the first thing that rolls down. You click on that and it takes you right to the screen and gives you all the options, whether ground or a, or a, whether it's going to be ground or a, or a whole bean. And it can be caffeinated or decaffeinated. Cool. I'm going to put all that in the liner notes. So last question I ask everybody, um, and I ask a thousand people and I get a thousand different answers. That's why I love it. <laughs> um, you know, we, we're still living in a crazy world. We're still living in COVID. Um, a lot here in New Jersey, a lot of parents lost their jobs because of shutdowns. And so a lot of parents are driving for DoorDash, Uber, and just trying to put food in their kid's mouth. And you got, we got grandparents homeschooling kids. So we live, still live in a crazy world that if I ask the average American to do something in seven days, they're so busy that they're never going to get to it. But if I ask somebody that's listening today to take a, a, an immediate actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely to take that mm -hmm. step. So if there's somebody that listened to our show right now and they're struggling or they're at that t kitchen table and they have that cold steel pressed against their head. What is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start to get help? Mm. I'm glad you asked the easy questions. That's a, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a good job. Way to, way to finish it up there. But, but, you know, that's a serious question. Yeah. And, and what I would, and what I would, what I would tell those folks is I'll tell them the same thing that folks told me is there's a lot of people out there that love you. And whether you believe it or not, when you're out and you're walking around, you know, folks are there uh, and, and you may feel differently. You may think nobody loves you and nobody's out there, but there's family members maybe you haven't seen. So what I would suggest when you get before you get to that point, you know, if someone's not reaching out to you, just reach out to them. You know, just connect with somebody. And if you're a person that isn't in that place and you know somebody, or you see somebody that just doesn't quite look right. I would say reach out, send an email, stop by their house, knock on their door, make a phone call you know, text them, whatever it, whatever it does. And then when something doesn't quite seem right, act on it, you know? So that's, that's the biggest thing that I'm telling folks right now is don't just take that, you know, Hey, how are you doing today? You know, when you can look at somebody, people have a different look. It seems like, at least I did. You know, I don't want to put that on everybody, but I had a different look when I was really needing some help. And, uh, and I was pretty good at hiding the help that I needed. And, uh, but I would encourage people to really get to know each other, you know, and, and we have been in COVID. We have been isolated. We have had all these things going on that's kind of brought us apart. But I would say, you know, bring that front porch theory back out. Have sit down, you know, have a cup of coffee, have a cup of Gatorade, have a, you know, a, a glass, a glass of sweet tea or some pie. And let's just start getting to know each other again, because we're never going to go in a positive direction until we really start coming together. And we really start looking each other in the eye and saying, man, I am here for you. Or if you're on the other side of that and you're the one holding that cold piece of steel, you say, hey, I really need your help. So, again, that's their strength in that on both sides. And, uh, you know, don't let don't let. Oh, man, I'm, I'm afraid that they're going to look at me and and, uh, you know, it's going to embarrass myself. Or I'm going to get ostracized. You know what? I'd rather have you feel funny when you ask uh, or you feel funny when you're making that call that you haven't made in a long time. You might be saving somebody's life so I can live with that. You know, I'm good with that. Uh, but if you don't reach out we know what the option is going to end up being more than likely. So just take the opportunity to get to know each other, connect, 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 I love, connect. I love it. Chief. Um, I'm so grateful that we connected. I believe that, you know, God doesn't make mistakes. 
he puts people in, in each other's lives for a reason. And I'm grateful to call, to call you friend. So um, I'm so appreciative. This is going to go out in a couple of weeks. Of course, okay. I'm going to put it everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Tumblr, Yacht, right. YouTube, everywhere. Um, so I just want to say thank you so much. Um, and I apologize for some of the electronic snags that we had yesterday, but everything <laughs> worked out amazing today. And I just want to say thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. You know, hopefully maybe we can get back together at some other point and see how this thing is growing. And yep. uh, it's been a lot of fun. You know, we're all brothers. We take care of each other. And I think we have the ability to take care of a lot of other folks. So I appreciate it. You know, awesome work you're doing. And uh, I am so honored uh, to be your friend and, and you to ask me to be on here today. It's been awesome. There you go. So, guys, definitely check out Chief. Find out what he's doing. If you love coffee, check out Camaraderie Coffee. It, 50% of what profits go to help saving lives. So you can't lose. That's a win-win situation. All right, Chief. Well, have an amazing day, and God bless you and your family. God bless you. Thank you. Hey, guys. If you're enjoying our show, if you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new t-shirt line that's coming out, hats, coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand coming out. It's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. It's ass-kicking coffee, and, and it, will, it will get you moving in the morning. So, guys, if you're interested, go to www.richardkaufman.net. Check us out. Leave us a note. Tell us what you'd like, and we'll actually send it to you. The new website is being built. So if you guys want to, our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.